I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Hello, and welcome back to Keanu Believe It, the Talk Film Society podcast that is all Keanu Reeves all the time. I'm Sam Van Heron, assistant editor at TFS, and a lifelong fan of the singular Keanu Reeves. I will be your guide through his diverse and interesting career. Each week, a guest and I will discuss a film from his filmography, which we're working through in chronological order. Uh, this is a special double episode, actually, so we'll be discussing 1990 films I Love You to Death, and Tune In Tomorrow. Uh, first thing, before we get into all the movies, um, I want to welcome my guest, Stephanie Crawford from Screamcast. How's it going, Stephanie? It's going great. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, looking forward to talking about some lesser-known uh, Keanu movies. But uh, before we do that, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit what you think about uh, Keanu in general. Uh, are you a fan of Keanu? I am a fanatic of Keanu. Uh, Perfect. I saw Bill and Ted uh, in the theaters when I was about five years old, and I instantly fell in love. It's actually one of like my early solid memories. And ever since then, uh, I did have a crush on him, but I've had to defend him my entire life as a great actor. And I'm glad he's so in favor now but it's hard for me to forget those many lonely years of being alone and defending him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So like one of my earliest memories, I've talked a little bit about uh, this something before on other, other episodes, but yeah, it was also, uh, it wasn't Bill and Ted, but it was uh, Speed. I just remember it being one of my first R-rated movies. I think I was like seven. It was just, on, it was like, and it's a pretty tame, you know, it was, I think it was on cable or, something but uh yeah so i think you know i think 90s kids it's a pretty 80s 90s kids it's a pretty good chance that one of your early memories might be a keanu movie but uh so uh had you seen uh let's start with uh let's start with i love you to death which uh was directed by uh lawrence kasdan uh written by john kostmeyer uh it stars kevin klein tracy ullman uh, River Phoenix, William Hurt, and Keanu Reeves. Uh, have you seen of or, or seen or heard about this movie before? I haven't. Uh, yeah, neither did I. Uh, I was surprised. I mean, uh, while you know, doing my initial research, I looked into it and saw that, but I had no idea that it was uh, Lawrence Kasdan directed it, which is it's a pretty interesting movie for him to have uh, directed, considering uh, his other movies, but. Uh, so, uh, what did you think about this overall? Overall, um, okay, it's goofy, it's messy, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I agree totally. Uh, it's, I kind of said, you know, it's a, it's a little thin. There's not really much. Uh, it's a, but it's an enjoyable comedy. The cast is great. Um, they all seem to be having a good time. Uh, kind of, kind of unexpected roles for a lot of them, uh, especially William Hurt. Uh, I had. I didn't even know he was in it until his name showed up in the opening titles, but... I uh, missed his name in the opening titles, and I had no idea he was in it, and I was kind of looking at him. I'm like, okay, I know that actor, but I can't quite place it. When I put it together, I just, I was very impressed. That was a brilliant... I I don't know. They hid him well, and he's he's great in it. Right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the... And I was looking through, uh, you know, Lawrence Kasdan's filmography, and uh, Kevin Klein and William Hurt are pretty much in most of his movies. Like, one or the other is in uh, most of his movies, so I kind of get why... I mean, they're both in The Big Chill, um, so I guess they just wanted to... This is just a movie... I have to imagine uh, Lawrence just kind of 
Kazan kind of just came into this and uh, I mean obviously this is the year after uh, The Last Crusade so that's probably why River Phoenix is in there um, but yeah it's a again it's a messy uh, ca- you know uh, it goes in places that you wouldn't expect or maybe it shouldn't have but it's still it's enjoyable enough for a you know middle of the road uh, dark comedy but uh, so yeah it starts saying it's based on a true story which I don't know how I didn't I tried to look into it, and it doesn't seem like it's... I guess it's just one of those, like, uh, you know, jilted wife, sorry, wife tries to kill kill her husband. I was kind of curious if it was a Fargo situation, and they were just saying it. Um, but yeah. I looked into it, and yeah, you're pretty much right. Uh, there was, you know, a, a less hijinksy version of it, and the husband didn't press charges. And that's basically right. what it was. Yeah, so it opens uh, with Kevin Klein in a confessional. Uh, it's just a funny scene where he's just like, you know, admitting to normal stuff like, you know, lying and cheating on his taxes or whatever. And then he says, uh, you know, I committed adultery. And then it's uh, Kevin Klein's doing a thick, you know, New York Italian uh, accent in this movie, which is, uh, you know, it's almost Mario level. You know, it's it's exactly what you'd think of. Uh, you know, cliche uh, accent, but it's it works for this, the tone they're going for, which is uh, pretty, you know, it's a screwball murder comedy. But. Right. This was the era for getting Kevin Klein to do funny accents. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, so yeah, that's, and then there's this, the opening titles uh, are, you know, showing, it's like a, a shot through the restaurant showing the, uh, you know, chaotic world he's living in and how he's balancing both, uh, you know, Tracy Ullman plays his wife and how he's dealing with family and then also his numerous affairs. And like I was saying, the confessional scene is funny where he like, he's going through how many uh, times he committed adultery in the last two weeks and he can't figure it out. He's like, <laughs> is it a dozen with five women or, you know, 14 with three women? Like he can't figure it out. Well, uh, he ends it with give or take. Right. So that kind of sums it up. Yeah. Yeah, I committed adultery, give or take, 12 times. You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and then River Phoenix uh, plays a young busboy who, it's unclear if he just kind of, like, feels bad for uh, his wife, uh, or if, uh, you know, or if uh, he's... Maybe a little in love with her? Yeah, maybe in love with her, right, uh... And then we, we clear that up later, but at first it just seems like he maybe just has a little crush on her or something. But uh, so yeah, and then it's like kind of everyone know everyone in town basically knows uh, Joey Bocas, uh Kevin Klein's name uh, is having an affair with pretty much everyone, and he also like uh, is a super for the building and rents out apartments, and he's sleeping with probably every woman that single you know young woman is living in the building. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Rosalie uh, is Tracy Ullman, and she uh, River Phoenix plays Devo. I guess his name is Devo. I don't know if it's a nickname or if whatever, but it's fine. Uh, uh, but yeah, so basically, uh, uh, Rosalie just thinks like it's okay. He's Italian. That's why he just he looks at these women, but she doesn't actually think that he's uh, you know sleeping with anyone, uh, and then Devo kind of confronts her about it and says, uh, like, uh, you know, you don't deserve this, uh, and then, uh, and then he, he asks basically, like, if it was true, what would you do? And she said, uh, like, I'll kill myself, and if that doesn't make me feel better, I'll kill him, and that's kind of just thrown away, and that's the kind of movie that, uh, we're dealing with, but. Uh, yeah, and then Joey basically leaves every night, uh, leaves her alone with kids. Uh, she's living with her uh, Hungarian mother. Uh, and then, uh, so then he goes to a nightclub. Uh, and I thought it was funny that uh, Phoebe Cates has a cameo. Yeah, his wife. That was cute. Yeah, I think they, yeah, I think they had just gotten married like the year before. So, uh, and then, yeah, so she, uh, you know, he sleeps with her and then, 
uh, yeah, it's just kind of like it's the pacing's a little odd in the beginning because like uh, like Heather Graham shows up and she's never and then we never see her again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I wonder if that was a couple cut scenes or something, but yeah, we see him like. Uh, meeting Victoria Jackson for Trist, and that doesn't go anywhere. So I guess it's just awkwardly setting up how many affairs he has, even though that was already established. Um, it's right. nice seeing a baby, Heather. Yeah, I mean, she, and then there was like maybe that, I guess the whole point of her was to like further the fact that Devo is actually like in love with uh, Rosalie instead of just a nice crush, and that he'll, and then obviously that he's willing to that he'll get like involved in the uh plot later but uh yeah so then it goes to um rosalie finally finds out that uh joey's cheating on her um in the library uh and then uh so basically it's like it's pretty quick of her like she thinks about committing suicide but then she just realizes that that would be stupid and uh pretty quick that she they like just cut to a scene of her and her mom are just plotting his murder. Like, <laughs> Do you know anyone who could kill him? Yeah. It's pretty wonderful to see the turn from like, oh, sure, he looks at women, but that's all. It's like, all right, how are we going to knock them all? Right. Uh, yeah, and they're just like laying in bed. She's crying and she's like, and the mom's like, uh, uh, you know, he's no good. And she doesn't say anything about the cheating. She's just like, he leaves messes everywhere. Like that. that's the reason that it's okay to, you know, off him. Uh, uh, so then she just hires uh, some, like a friend of hers grandson who's desperate for money uh, to go after him and this is just you know your classic uh, dark comedy of errors where they hire idiots uh, to do everything and uh, like the guy goes after him with a baseball bat and it's funny with uh, the way Kevin Klein's kind of like kicks his ass and he's uh, you know you kind of, but at the same time, they make Joey very unlikable. Like you, uh, I mean, Kevin Klein has fun with it, so you enjoy that. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, okay, it's it's fine. You can, I understand why you'd want to kill him. Uh, and then, you know, she does a like they they have this part earlier in the movie where they show that Rosalie's mom is like uh, an electrician or something, and she so she tries to rig a car bomb. And then there's a funny scene where you know the classic like Rosalie gets in this in the car uh with him and uh so that was a fun there's a lot of funny uh you know the just basically there's a montage of them trying to of botched murder uh, murder attempts and yeah the the comedy set pieces especially here you go over them again and i'm just smiling thinking about it it is really well done and i like also how the movie does take little moments to establish their family and i think that helps with how outlandish the plot gets like uh, just seeing like their their son wrestle an inflatable dinosaur in the background, just and right. they're flat. They look like they actually live there. I, it's yeah, and, yeah, and he's uh, you know playing uh, patty cake with his uh, daughter and yeah, and it's Mary Mac. Yeah, uh, <laughs> with yeah, curly then... Sue, but she had straight hair in this. That threw me off a little bit. Yeah, and then also his. <laughs> Son is played by uh, Lawrence Kasdan's son, actually, oh. uh, who went on to write uh, Solo, and he's writing the next Indiana Jones movie, so it's kind of a funny... Uh, apparently, like, he'd been in a couple other of uh, his movies, too, and... Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. They set up the family, and that you... And then the kids are kind of just, like, not in it anymore. Like, the there's that scene, and then uh, as soon as the third plot to kill them... Uh, it's basically the rest of the movie is basically set around uh, the last mostly successful uh, attempt, which and this is when the movie really is really enjoyable. Like the just the all these dumb these great actors playing dumb weirdos. Um, like uh, yeah, River Phoenix does a good job in this uh, as kind of like like he's in and over his head and uh, but yeah, basically they try to poison him with sleeping pills and there's a great like when they're making the spaghetti sauce and she's like uh you know and a lot of sleeping pills and it's just a <laughs> it's a fun i don't know his metabolism is so fast it's not doing 
Yeah, so he starts like uh, first is just being like like being loopy and being really nice and like Rosalie maybe is considering you know uh, going back on it, but then uh, eventually he falls asleep into his spaghetti and uh, her mom's just like, "All right, we need someone to like." She just pulls out a gun and is about to shoot him while he's laying there on the couch. Uh, that that's another thing about this movie. It's very comfortable stereotypes. Um, Italians. <laughs> a lot of stereotypes and the mother-in-law hating the husband that's a big one she's no hesitation on her part for any of the murder plots right yeah and that she's like and that she can has no problem uh being like suddenly like a cold war like spy or like a you know like she's gonna blow him up and uh like i don't even know like the it's i guess no yeah his it's his gun like he gets the gun after he was mugged, but, um, so basically they call, uh, Devo over to finish him off, and, because they know that he, basically, he's a, uh, kind of a dumb kid that'll just do whatever, and he's kind of like, he's one of those, like, he's kind of a faux intellectual, like, he talks about, like, uh, you know, Eastern, like, talks about yoga, and, like, uh, that, um, you know, feminism, like, he's just, like, he's just throwing these, uh, buzzwords out, which is which is funny, but yeah, kind of a stereotypical eighties nineties hippie. Yeah, and and then so he comes over, uh, shoots him in the head, but like looks away <laughs> at the last second, and so it's unclear if like he's just grazed at first, but it it, it works for the movie, like because they don't know what's going on either. Um, but yeah, he does just get shot in the head, and then he seems to be fine. Uh, so then he goes and gets, and then this is finally where Keanu shows up. Uh, basically, Devo doesn't want to shoot him again because he's like realizing that it's kind of a big deal. So he goes to hire a couple of uh, drugged out petty criminals who are played by, again, yeah, William Hurt and Keanu is his cousin. Because this is uh, something I've noticed in these first two movies of uh, Keanu's career is him playing relatives of people that there's no way he's. Related to, but <laughs> distant, distant cousin. Yeah, and they're played by uh, Harlan and Marlon. Yeah, you know, those are their names, Harlan and Marlon. So, but uh, there's the Keanu's got a great intro in this movie though, because like uh, it shows William Hurt playing pool, and then like Keanu is some reason he's some reason on the floor, and he like just kind of uh, slides up, and this is very. This is where it comes, you know, very, gets very Fargo-like in terms of, I mean, broader than that, obviously, but, like, just hiring dumb criminals to do things. Uh, yeah, and then, so then the scene when they get to the house is really funny. Yeah, I I love that um, Devo just threw on a really terrible fake disguise. Oh, yes. and was like, oh, I'll pick him up at a bar, and we'll just talk about <laughs> in the booth. Right. Uh, yeah, and then, like, the he asks... He shows up in like a you know like a Fu Manchu uh, mustache, and the bartender he like asks the bartender like putting on a voice. He's like, uh, "I'm looking for Harlan Williams," and uh, he's like, "Harlan you know, Williams, something like that." <laughs> I'm a big fan of his. Does he hang out this bar? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but then yeah, then he, so the bartender just immediately recognizes him and. Um, but yeah, and then the, the guys like show up in a taxi, uh, you know, to the to the scene of the murder, and then they like just start wa- they start wandering to the other side of the street. Uh, and there's such a long scene of them trying to find the change to pay for the cab. Like they really held on, like okay, button, <laughs> tiny crumbled up one dollar bill. <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah, and then um, so yeah, and then like uh, there's another great. Part where uh, you know uh, Rosalie's mom says that she'll like go up there and shoot him, and I'll put on a record to drown out the. Uh, and then there's a scene where like she's actively looking for a Johnny Mathis record to play. Like she's like, no, it's uh, you know, mom and dad is like to put this on. Or Rosalie's like, put this on, and it's a Madonna album. And she's like, oh no, that's not good. That's... You know, I like Mathis. <laughs> uh, and then there's a great yeah. And then there's another. Scene. So they go up there to kill him. And then they start like they're about to, they got a baseball bat, and then they realize that it's a uh, like 
a special edition baseball bat and they start talking about baseball. Well, so there's like, you know, he's, uh, Joey's bleeding to death in his bed and they're just talking about baseball. And they're Johnny literally Mathis, like so. straddling his unconscious body, miming baseball moves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like Keanu jumps on the bed and they're doing, and they just start, uh, chanting, you know, and, uh, so, and, and it's funny that they don't really seem to care. Like, the people downstairs don't really seem to care that this is happening. Uh, uh, so then finally, he shoots him uh, in the chest, and but misses his heart. And then there's another part where they're, like, trying to figure out where his heart is, like, doing the, <laughs> Do uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> but to different sides of their heart. Uh, so, yeah, of course it's not going to go well. But, uh, yeah, Keanu's got... Uh, like, weird parts of his head shaved. Uh, I was hoping you weren't going to gloss over his hair, because that's a big part of his character. It is. Uh, so, yeah, what, is, what do you think uh, the history behind that is? Oh, okay. Uh, if I had to guess, uh, probably this is a fella who takes a lot of bets. And I'm feeling like shaving random parts of his head was probably a bet and he's okay with it like his friends are probably laughing he's like all right where's the beer oh he's perpetually high in this movie oh yeah both especially like i mean i guess william hurt is too but like yeah marlon keanu's marlon is barely holding hanging in there like yeah i feel like is he... william hurt is a little bit more the alcoholic and keanu is more the pothead yeah. So they balance each other that way. Yeah, it's, you know, you can't have one of, you, you gotta have one of each, right? So, uh, yeah, and then, fine, so then they, uh, then there's this great part where they're like, uh, they go downstairs, say that they killed them, and, uh, you know, Rosalie starts crying, like she's really broken up uh, about it, you know, maybe she regrets doing it, and then there's a great shot, like they just cut over, and it's, he's standing there, bleeding out of his head. <laughs> With spaghetti sauce on his face. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and then it cuts to a police the police station where uh, a guy says that he heard them bragging about uh, shooting him for, like, $5,000. And uh, so, obviously, they picked the wrong uh, assassins. Uh, yeah, and they end up giving him 1000 because they only wounded him. <laughs> right, right, of course. Uh, Next time we gotta get the money up front. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, and then there's this great, so then the cops show up, uh, and then, you know, they arrest everyone, take them to the hospital, and there's a great, when they're, like, performing surgery, uh, like, when they remove the bullet from his head, there's, like, a strand of spaghetti wrapped around the bullet, so, like... <laughs> Italians! <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, and then there's a great part where they're, like, uh, there's a montage of like them, or not a montage, but like you know, various scenes of them being interviewed by the cops, and they ask like, uh, you know, why did you shoot Joey? And then Keanu's like, who's Joey? And then there's like, uh, like he has no memory of what they were actually doing, uh, and then everyone's blaming everyone else. Uh, yeah, but I think yeah, Keanu does a good job for what you know he's what he's asked to do in this. He's Again, it's again might have something to do with the fact why a lot of people uh, have that idea about him because he was you know typecast a lot in these early you know where he's playing right. basically playing a dummy. Uh, but so, but it, it's still it's it works for the plot of the movie. So I don't you know it's no it's it's perfect and he's genuinely funny in it. And I do like when he's released from prison, he's still high, right? Which is impressive. <laughs> I don't know how he got it in there, but he walked right out. <laughs> I guess he's just done enough at this point where he's just... It's just in his bloodstream now. <laughs> yeah. No, I also thought he had great chemistry with William Hurt. and they had... Oh, for sure, which, yeah, which I did not expect, right? Go ahead. Right. Um, and they had a great thing where uh, Keanu's character was kind of the conduit, so William Hurt would, like, whisper things to him, and then Keanu would be like, okay. <laughs> yeah it's great yeah they're uh yeah i mean uh, it just seems like william hurt was in this just because basically like a fate like i'm sure he's friends with kaz and so he's like yeah i'll just have 
you know, have fun with this. But yeah, the fact that we're convinced by that uh, the chemistry between them that they're that it makes sense that they're cousins that they uh, probably get into this kind of nonsense a lot. Uh, so uh, and then yeah, finally, uh, basically, it skips a few weeks. Uh, Joy's in the hospital, and uh, Victoria Jackson, whatever her character's name was, shows up again. And uh, but he's like, no, I'm a new man. Like this is. <laughs> She tried to murder me, but uh, I have to be faithful to my wife. Like, that's the kind of... So I guess that's where the based on a true story part comes in. It's like the fact that uh, a guy got tried to get killed by his wife, but wouldn't press charges because he realized he was kind of being a putz. So. <laughs> Perfect word choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, so like, uh, he even... And then he has to... He goes to the cops, says he wants to bail... Uh, bail Rosalie out and basically like he ends up bailing everyone out because if he presses charges on one of them then obviously they have to press charges on all of them so um but it's funny yeah again like uh Harlan and Marlon come out and they're both yeah they're both again you said like you said Marlon's clearly still high and doesn't remember who he is uh he's like it's the guy (laughs) uh and then Joey's like no, it wasn't the best way to meet, but we can be friends now. <laughs> it wasn't personal, you know? <laughs> uh, and then, like, uh, you know, uh, Nadja is Rosalie's mom, and then they, they come out, and she's about to, like, lay into him again, but then, like, is that candy for me? And then, ah, okay. No, I don't care anymore. Yeah, things uh, tied up really well for him in the end. Right, because then, uh, you know, Rosalie's mad at first, but then, like, uh, then they just make up, make out in the janitor's closet uh, with their kids right outside the door, and you know, like the uh, Devo and Rosalie's mom. And then I like the, the last lines of the movie are great. He's, he's like, uh, "What if he cheats on Rosalie again?" And she says, "Then we shoot him again." And then, just kidding. And then cut to black. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah so overall, again, not super. You know, nothing super surprising mm-hmm. or. Uh, you know, very, it's not a very deep movie about, you know, uh, it's very much a bizarre comedy, but it's, again, it's enjoyable enough, especially with that cast, so. Yeah, um, the cast really did make it, and I'm a big Tracy Ullman fan, and she was great in this. Um, it's kind of like a, a less a dippy version of her in Small Time Crooks. Sure. And yeah. I did notice that Keanu was in an episode of her show like a year before this movie. So I'm kind of wondering about the connection there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure. I feel like, again, it's probably just, it seems like a movie that uh, they just kind of, people, because they knew each other. And then I wonder, I, mean, I know River, Phoenix, and Keanu were obviously, uh, I didn't look in too much, but I know that they were in, you know, My Own Private Idaho later. I wonder if they were friends because of this or if they were friends before i'm not sure but i should have looked up the stories but i'm not sure <laughs> well just just have it ready for my own private i know <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but yeah i agree tracy Allman's great uh in this i'm i mean i i always think she's i think she's always good in uh when she shows up in movies and i don't i haven't i'm not a huge follower of her like her own stuff like comedy besides knowing that the simpsons uh started with her but on her show, but yeah, I, she does a really good job as being a, like, again, even though she was trying to murder her husband, you're like, you, it's easy to empathize with her. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that does it for uh, I Love You to Death, and so that you know brings us to our next movie, which uh, is Tune In Tomorrow, which was directed by John Amiel, uh, written by William Boyd, and uh, besides Keanu, uh, Barbara Hershey and Peter Falk. Uh, so this is a very different kind of comedy, but also equally unexpected and weird. Like I did not expect it to be this kind of, uh, it just looked like when I saw that I couldn't find out too much about it, but, uh, I mean, it's set in the fifties. Uh, so what did you think about tune in tomorrow? I have more complex feelings about tune in tomorrow than I did about, I love you to death. Um, on paper, I was really excited because it's Keanu in a period movie. 
Right. And I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, movies set in the 1950s. And I was excited to see him in a role like that. And I'm a huge Peter Falk fan. Um, yep, yeah, same. But, gosh, the tone of this. No, yeah, I don't know what it was going for, especially, like, the tone and the plot makes no sense, like, especially because the fact that this is based on a book that's apparent, like, uh, it's a, it seems like more of a drama than anything, like, it's a, but the movie is pitched as, like, a, trying to be, like, a heartwarming romantic comedy, but it's between an aunt and her nephew, right, so... Now, they're not blood. She's a married into the family aunt, but still a divorced aunt. So it's a weird situation. Uh, Yeah, and then, I mean, some of it's, like, again, it's, this is one of those cases of a movie where, like, the actors are doing what they are called to do, and they do good jobs, you know, but it's just, it's hard to figure out what the hell this movie's trying to be about or say and what kind of the tone is all over the place and uh, yeah so we might as well run through it a little you know uh, opening uh, on a scene in a Detroit radio station uh, a bomb threat's called in and it's very weird like the, uh, it's trying to be very mysterious of like what exactly is happening uh, and then but apparently like the the Alaskan Liberation Army called in to uh called in a bomb threat and uh you know everyone starts evacuating uh and then he kind of just who we find out later is peter falk kind of just casually strolls out of the place right before it blows up uh yeah so i did not it's like was it going for a that kind of uh like is it trying to be a crime comedy but it's really not because it just kind of abandons that and then Comes back again later into it, but uh, yeah. So then it skips to six, you know, six months later. Uh, opening titles are done, which I, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed this. Like uh, it made me think that maybe it was going somewhere interesting. Like it starts with uh, opening titles by uh, Henry Gibson, from people know from the Burbs and lots of stuff. And he's basically they do the opening titles like a radio show. Like so, he just says like. Starring Keanu Reeves, uh, and so I thought maybe it was going to say something interesting about uh, art, and it kind of tries to, but again, it's really all over the place. Yeah, it, it's so much potential, so much potential, uh, and I, it just feels so scattershot. And I feel like there was real heart behind the movie, mm-hmm. but I don't know if. I don't know if it was in the editing or maybe the script didn't completely come together, but everything seemed to land almost like it was a play that was rehearsed once. That's a good way to describe it. Maybe it was a rushed production, something like that. It just, it felt very strange. Yeah. And I had a very hard time finding any information. I was, cause it, cause like you said, it, was, it seems like a interesting, like I did a little, the most research I did was like, look into the story it's based on and it's, Actually, based on, like, this this reporter, he's, like, real experiences as a... And it was set in Peru, so it's really bizarre that it's, like, a Peruvian novel that then is turned into set in the 50s New Orleans. Like, very strange, but... Yeah, I uh, think since they change, there's kind of a running thread with Peter Falk's character attacking Albanians for no real reason. I guess it was Bolivians originally, just strange choices. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so then it also cuts in. So basically, uh, Keanu plays Martin, a young producer at uh, a New Orleans radio station. Uh, and they're, it's unclear if he's, actually unclear what he actually does at the station. Like, I think he sometimes he has his own office, but at the other time he's just like a gopher. It's very, again, it's it's weird, but, uh, so they, they hire uh, Peter Falk, who plays Pedro Carmichael. So again, his name is Pedro. <laughs> so they like, I bet his name was Pedro in the Peruvian book. 
And they just decided to, like, it's fine. Peter Falk could be a guy named Pedro. It's cool. Um, so, and then the, the movie also, it, like, dramatizes the radio play uh, with, like, slight, surprisingly big-name actors like John Larroquette and Peter Gallagher and Dan Hedaya. That was a uh, fun Yeah. Yeah. And those scenes were probably actually my favorite part, just because they're so ridiculous. Like, maybe if it had stuck to that kind of arch, uh, you know, weird period, but even farther period comedy, like, maybe I could have gotten into it more, but... Uh, and then, uh, yeah, Martin's Aunt Julia shows up, and it's, uh, it's, it's really weird. It's unclear how old Keanu is in this movie. Um, like, because he's still living, he's living with his parents, but we don't, <laughs> I didn't realize that those were his parents until, like, the second half of the movie. Oh, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> he's 21, and she's 35, 36. Oh, yeah, you're right. He does say that, yeah, later in the, in the courtship scenes. He says he's, uh, you know, that he lost his virginity five years ago, so, and he said he's 21, so. Um, but, yeah, basically, uh, big party at uh, his Aunt Olga's house. Who's uh, Aunt Patricia Clarkson's in there? Um, yeah, and then so like they just kind of—it's unclear if he likes Julia or not at first. Like, is he just first? He like can't wait to get rid of her. Um, you know, like she, and basically the thing with Julia is that she basically dates old rich dudes. Like that's her thing. Um, but again, it's like presented very casually and they don't really delve into anything about it um yeah it's very interesting very weirdly uh characterized in terms of how we're introduced to these characters and stuff but yeah later they they kind of expand on that that she's not cold she just wants to make sure she's comfortable and especially Mm -hmm. in the 1950s it's kind of you had to worry about marrying into comfort more than figuring it out yourself so sure um yeah, and then, so, um, Martin goes to, like, he, she, Julia basically says, like, to get out of this date with this guy, she says, I'm going to the movies with, uh, Martin, and, you know, Martin kind of thinks it's a real, so he goes to the movies, and she stands him up, and then, uh, again, like, even just running through this movie, which I just watched, but it's just kind of hard to, uh, have any interest in what the plot but yeah so anyway after, after some stuff happens uh you know carmichael starts writing the uh radio play and it starts getting really popular in the town like they start uh you know having uh you know there's fans everywhere um they're like there's a part where the fans are in the radio station and the like actors acting out the play in front of people uh it's strange but uh yeah so basically and then also again like you said the Albanian for some reason uh Carmichael goes after the Albanians and what I think the fact that he also went after in his last city he went after the Alaskans so I'm thinking he like goes just in alphabetical order through different ethnicities to, or, like, <laughs> that different... makes sense because uh Keanu, uh, Martin, asks some why Albanians. He's like, yeah, why not? Uh, and there's also Albanians are, like, protesting, um, getting really, you know, angry that they're being made fun of and talked about, like, they're... <laughs> like, can you lay off the Albanians a little, please? <laughs> right, and then it, there's a really weird thing that happens in the, like, in the show, in the, uh, in the radio show where, uh, Dan Hedaya's character, who's basically, like, he's the, the villain, I guess. Like, he's got an eye patch and everything. And uh, he says, uh, like, that his baby sister was eaten by rats. Like, again, that's where the tone goes. Like, in some scenes, it's heartwarming, trying to be a heartwarming comedy. And in the next, it's being a weird, like, satire, I guess. But I have no idea what they're actually satirizing. But Yeah, but, okay, this is a completely different movie, but it did make me think about another Peter Falk movie, The Princess Bride, uh, that juggled different tones so well. Right. Like, you bought into everything, yeah. and the juggling quite isn't so 
deft here. Right. So maybe that's what they were going for. Like maybe they, because I mean this was after Princess Bride, so maybe they like I I don't know, but uh, that they for some reason wanted to adapt the story, but then adapted it in a, as weird a way as possible. Um, but yeah, it does feel like that maybe the director came on, and it's funny that. John Amiel went on to direct, like, The Core and a bunch of other... But uh, very weird that he... You know, The Core with... Um, what's... Aaron Eckhart and... Uh, what's her name? Hilary Swank. But, <laughs> which is also a terrible movie. So, which has very odd tone issues, but... But before this, he directed The Singing Detective, which is great. And that's also a period... Uh, right. miniseries so that actually got my hopes up quite a bit and the movie does look great you totally buy that's the period and everything but oh for sure even even though the like I got a pretty it's a very it's hard very hard to find um, so I ended up watching it in a kind of iffy quality but even then I could tell that it was like oh he also directed like Entrapment so he's yeah he's got had a very interesting career but yeah just this seems like a movie that Everyone, it doesn't, it's not a movie, I, like, I didn't hate it, like, I didn't, uh, I don't, like, lo- it just, it seems like they all had in the right, their hearts in the right place, and then they were trying to do something interesting, it's just kind of a misfire on most levels, but, yeah, getting back to the plot, I guess. A Good luck. Bit. So, they start falling for each other, and then, basically, the other, the rest of the movie is that uh, he starts uh, writing their you know, weird courtship into the play. Pedro. Uh, Pedro does, yes. Um, and then it's like, at some points they're making you think that he's, uh, you know, a terrible person for doing this, that he's basically not a good creative because he just steals people's uh, real stories. Yeah. But then it's also in, presented as like, maybe he's doing it for the good of humanity. And uh, like, we're, again, this is where it tries to get into the, talk about the power of art, but it very... It, like, throws in some interesting lines every once in a while about um, that he, like... Like, there's a line at the end where he says, um, the world is a shitstorm, and when it's raining shit, the best umbrella you can buy is art. So, like... But then it's completely unearned. Like, that's not... This is not the kind of... It's, I get what they were going for of maybe trying to say that this... If he hadn't manipulated in their lives that they would never have... Uh, ended up together. Uh, so it's not. I guess it's not like a rules of the game line for you, or the tragedy is everyone has their reasons. <laughs> I was kind right. of wondering if that was just confirming how much of a bullshit artist he was, though, because right. Pedro is very performative. Like he he doesn't just press an ear to a door, though he does do that. But he concocts these elaborate stagings. Just so he can write down everything going on in a romantic relationship. Oh, right. Like, at one point, he... Uh, yeah, he uh, dresses up like a French maid. <laughs> that, it is great seeing Peter Falk dressed as a French maid. Right. Like, and he, he does a lot of costume, And then it's, again, another thing they just kind of like... Oh, by the way, he wears costumes for reasons. Um, and then there's another part where he, like, uh, starts doing all the voices for the radio play when, like, the actors quit. Uh, and, uh, like, the, they're, again, he really goes in, really lays into the Albanians again. So I guess he just likes uh, playing with people's lives or something. Yeah. Uh, and then even the final, so a bunch of stuff happens. Uh, eventually, like, their families find out, uh, Martin and Julia's families find out about them. Uh, and then again, it gets, like, really dark all of a sudden with his dad, like, beating on him. I mean, again, the kind of thing that you would expect for a slightly incestuous romance. But, again, it, veer, like, veers into these weird... Uh, it's another case of... It's a classic case of not being able to pick a tone, you know, right. committing to it. No, but. if you could get with actually get whiplash from tonal shifts in a movie... Tune in tomorrow would absolutely do it. Uh, yeah, I yeah definitely, and it it, it feels very it feels like every uh, early '90s movie I saw on local television on Saturday afternoons. Like that's that's exactly 
if you think of that kind of movie, that's what this is with. But some of those are, you know, again, enjoyable enough, but this one just can't commit to anything. But Right. Well, it's also uh, one where, like, I think if you were clicking around and you ran into I Love You to Death, you would be able to watch it, like, halfway in and be like, oh, right. okay. This one, if you came halfway in, it, it's hard enough following it start to finish. This one, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's even weird, like, they even, the score is by, uh, is, like, has music by uh, jazz legend Wynton Marsalis, and and the, the music, is again, it's like, it's a well-staged movie, like, the, again, the sets are good, the, I, I couldn't, I mean, again, there's a very fuzzy version I saw, but I could even tell that probably, it had decent lighting and everything, and the, score, the music is good, it's just, yeah, it, it feels like a movie that no one really figured out what they were going for and then it ends with uh, them running off together uh, and then there's uh, Peter Falk shows up trust as a fireman in a fire truck and then I guess he turns into a cardinal and he's going to go he says he's going to go work in television like that's his new, his next stage yeah. and then there's some weird magical realism thrown in there at the end where like he's riding off and Keanu sees the characters from the play on the back of the fire engine. Like, I'm pretty sure the way he reacts seems like he's actually seeing these people. I don't know, maybe maybe that's just the way I was reading it, but... So, yeah, that's Tune In Tomorrow. Uh, I don't, yeah, <laughs> I think we've pretty much said everything we can about this one. Fun. But how do you so, think yeah. Keanu was in it? Oh, that's a good point. This is a Keanu podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Darn this! So this movie is confusing to the point where I forget what the point of my podcast is. Okay, uh, yeah, I thought he was—I thought he did a good job. Um, again, I pretty much always like Keanu and things, even when the movies don't work. I'm it's just again—I started a podcast about him, so I guess that's makes sense. But uh, I don't know; his accent's a little weird. Um, I don't know. What did you think? I have complexions about Keanu in this as much as I do the movie. The accent, you, you're you kinder than I am in that regard. I don't think it was a good accent. I think it's really distracting, especially the first time you hear it. And I guess he had like a week of intensive training. Um, and he uh, like listened to his Walkman dialect things uh, to get the oh, Nolan's God. accent. But he Oof. didn't, and I guess even a cab driver, he he was just doing the accent everywhere, and the cab driver asked if he was from New Hampshire with his Nolan's accent. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, like, and he, he's, it's similar to, it's not quite, you know, uh, later we'll talk, you know, when we get to Dracula, where he does, yeah. where he, like, slips <laughs> in and out of the accent, depending on the scene. Um, but yeah. But even in Dracula, like, I can get behind it because of the kind of, like, it, again, it commits to something. But at the same time, it's still, like, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's, it's what you'd think of when you, if you spent a week trying to get an accent, this is what you would get. Like, this is, so. Um, yeah, it, I I think it was rushed to, to ask him to do such a specific strong accent. Uh, I think acting-wise, he did great. Beyond the accent, it's yeah. a lot to ask of someone <laughs> to deal with uh, this intensive of a script and kind of an incestuous age different kind of relationship. But he's very sincere in it. And I guess um, the director was used to seeing him play a burn, uh, like a burnout. Oh, but yeah. when he was talking to him, he started talking, Keanu started talking about his sister and he saw like the warmth in him and how genuine he was. And that's what convinced sure. him. And he actually reminded him of a young Jimmy Stewart, which I think is really interesting and cool. And it kind of makes sense why he chose this. I, I don't sure. think it was bad casting, but I do think they really needed to lay off the accent thing. I mean, yeah, I guess that brings into the the whole movie is that like it it seems rushed, like it, like which is surprising given how again how convincing the period setting is, but it just seems like the only reason it was set in New Orleans was because they wanted that as a backdrop, but like there's no actual 
you actually almost forget that it's set. The only reason you remember is because he's doing his weird accent. But yeah, uh, yeah, and then the chemistry with him and Barbara Hershey depends on the scene. Like it's again, they're both really good actors, and just but it's never. I don't know. Again, she's his aunt, and then like I don't know. It's it's kind of it's a it's a bit of a mess. Let's say that being kind. Right. Um, it, it's not a terrible movie. It's not like it's a bunch of incompetent people or anything. Right. It, it's a lot of really interesting, good parts, and they they just didn't really come together. From yeah, and then uh, but again, yeah, Keanu again does his best to when he's not doing the accent when he's but he, to pull it together and like this is one of his first actually you know one of his own one of his first like maybe his third or fourth star you know big featured role and uh, I guess he just want you know wanted to work with different you know again still doing interesting projects even when they don't come together all the way but yeah I, I imagine it was definitely a challenge mm-hmm. especially so early in his career Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's I, I surprised. You know, interestingly enough, these I I kind of just wanted to do these together because they were both kind of hard to find. So it, but I think in a way it kind of worked. They're both. I mean, one's better than the other, obviously, but at the same time, they're both interesting comedies that I did wouldn't expect. Um. But so yeah, that does it for this episode. Uh, before we go, uh, Stephanie, you want to make some plugs? Nah, uh, you can just check me out on Twitter, uh, Scrawfish. Uh, everything I do, I post there. So Awesome. All right, uh, that does it for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Stephanie, for joining me. Uh, tune in next time for Point Break, which I am very excited to listen to talk about because it's one of my favorite Keanu movies. So, awesome. Uh, keep being excellent to each other, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>